Okay. All right. Never mind that restarting. recording. We are now restarting. Restarting okay. because we can't edit. Yeah. Um, editing is for people with budgets. And as you can tell from my <laughs> audio quality, we do not, uh, how you say, have that. Um, but yeah, um, right. welcome. We should probably get this show off on the road, next to the road, something. Uh, you're listening to Two Dot People's Radio, um, a new podcast, as you might have gathered by clicking on this. Um, my name is Henry. And this is and uh, yeah, I am I'm Tess. Uh, uh, we are recording. I'm recording live from Montana. I'm recording live from a shitty apartment in France right now. It yeah. Rules. Uh, yeah, and this is kind of a podcast that we've been wanting to start for a while. We're going to be looking at a bunch of different stuff in the course of this. Um, everything from politics and history and uh, culture in and as it touches the, mo- the Mountain West in general. In general, we'll be talking more about Montana because we're from Montana. Everybody we know is from or lives in Montana practically, uh, not entirely, but you know. Um, and, but we're gonna sort of try and sort of cover sort of this entire, the Mountain West as a region, minus Utah, that's too big a trouble in terms of population, but yeah. Um, this has been kind of bouncing around in our heads between us for what, like two years now, right? A couple of years, yeah. Yeah. And I think, so this is our second recording of this episode because the we had to cut one the first sucked. one. <laughs> um, but last time I think we mentioned that we're from the Bitterroot yes. here in Montana about five times a piece. Um, per so hopefully minute, this can be our episode. first yeah. and last mention of that. It might be. Uh, it yeah, be. for this episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, like Henry was saying, we grew up here both of us in small towns and right near each other. And yeah. we both went to college in Missoula, which is uh, one of the cities in Montana standards um, yeah. in Montana, in Western Montana. Right. It's, it's and, a, met- uh, metrop- a metropolis of 70,000 people. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. A thriving and ever expanding suburban. Yes. <laughs> increasing area of Missoula um yeah yeah I mean this is what we both think about a lot this is we both think about left politics um and what it means here in the Mountain West and in Montana in particular uh because not not many people that we've been able to find are talking about that on any sort of media platforms yeah, fundamentally, there's kind of a vacuum in media, both. Well, there's not a vacuum in media talking about the Mountain West. I mean, there mm-hmm. is no end of like shitty cowboy movies and like what have you, and Kevin Costner's Yellowstone or whatever the fuck, or that <laughs> that new AB that that ABC show that rolled out last fall about like what if the missing and murdered indigenous woman problem happened to white women who are from outside the state? So, I mean, like there's, there's, there's no shortage of media talking about that or what have you, but um, there's really a shortage of like people discussing it who are a actually from Montana and B actually have some knowledge of the place and C are not owned by elite enterprises or whatever. Mm. 
Um, so we're just sort of yeah. trying to um, trying to fill this gap because it needs to be filled. There's a lot of um, unexamined aspects of what made the state the current bad way it is, what the current state is for that matter, um, and yeah. just beyond that. So that's kind of what brings us to this. Um, yeah. Both of yeah, Montana has a really yeah. rich leftist history. Um, yes. Really, both rural and urban, um, yeah. and really quite notable histories of uh, corporate capture of uh, the entire state, the political right, bodies, yeah. um, the economics of the state, mm -hmm. and the legacies are still very much alive and well here. And it's a uh, yeah, it's just hard to find uh, people trying to figure out how to organize the left in Montana um, along along the lines of um, a critique capital. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not that complex. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's. I mean, people are talking about it, but but I don't. I don't really see it in the media. So. Right. I mean, like, the, there's. It's it's to a fundamental level that I mean. Oro e Plata is still the state motto and has been mm -hmm. since since statehood. Um, I guess there was kind of a retreat for a bit, but we're kind of back into diving down to where we were before. Um, mm -hmm. And this is a thing that needs, it's the problem with the current state of things is there's, there's enough happening and there's enough happening under the surface that it's kind of very easy to miss things for the trees um, to, you know, to either get washed over by the wave of latest bullshit from the legislature or to just generally um, not even hear about some sort of arcane process happening to uh, attempt to build more coal-fired power plants or what have you. Mm -hmm. So that's kind yeah. of, yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the things that really drove us to talking about this, particularly this last summer, as we were talking about it was, um, we were both staying in Missoula for a while and uh, just really noticing the gentrification in Missoula. And I actually think we had a really good conversation about that on our um, our last defunct episode, Rest yeah, in Peace. Yeah. But I, I think we should talk a little bit more about that, kind of go over what we've noticed and, um, and some of our thoughts about the gentrification process in Missoula and Montana more generally during the pandemic. Um, yeah, so I, I think we could jump into that. Yeah, um, I mean, first off, uh, you're probably, you might be aware if you're from Montana that um, wages in Montana are absolutely pretty much in the sub-basement and we'll get into that more later. Um, but uh, another aspect of this is that even though wages have stayed very low, cost of living has completely has just completely skyrocketed in Montana in the past 10, 15 years. Um, just uh, to taking uh, taking a quick look at things, um, in in some states, in in some counties in Montana, uh, housing costs are up upwards of 200 to 400 percent in the past 20 years, 30 years that is. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, in Missoula, in, in Missoula, it's currently a 200% growth uh, since 2000, um, and it's only getting worse. In fact, it's kind of accelerated recently. 
And speaking of last summer, um, the rental vacancy in Missoula was, I am not joking, 0%. There was no empty housing stock. Mm -hmm. This is very bad for uh, people, but it is kind of good for getting podcasts started because as a result of this, um, to avoid my being in a very technical sense homeless, I wound up uh, crashing on Tessa's couch for uh, about six weeks in the summer. Um, yeah. in, a, in a spare room in her house in uh, the same house so yeah like yeah which is you know I mean it's just sort of a it, it's a very broad problem in that there just fundamentally are not apartments that are affordable uh, mm-hmm. like not to mention that a lot of the people I mean people our age a lot of them are like toiling yeah. making minimum which I believe it's 865. 875 actually, I think. But yeah. it's 875 now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. I think it, I think it went um, it went up a whopping 10 cents, I believe, on New Year's or New Year's last year, oh, okay. one of the two. Um, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of people are just toiling in really shitty jobs, um, and yeah. Missoula in particular, in Montana, although this applies to at least the western half of the state, Bozeman, and especially the the urban areas, uh, yeah. is just becoming a much more desirable place for a lot of people to live. Yeah. And yeah, pretty obvious gentrification, pricing, pricing people out. And right. I mean, I think there's some complexities there where a lot of people our age who are living and working in Missoula um, are, you know, came there to go to college at the university. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like that is also part of the gentrification, like people coming from out of state yeah, yeah. Um, to go to school there and then staying but you know people still need like a place to live and decent yeah. wages um, right. and they're not i don't think college kids are the, the key issue here in um, part because enrollment is down what a 33 33% in the past 7 years i think yeah i don't know but yeah, it's, it's yeah some, it's way it's way down high number yeah for this liberal arts school um yeah. While the other university in the state is just seeing like booming enrollment, right. which is yeah. more the science technology school. Yeah. Um, can we still? Call, yeah, but can you still call Missoula a liberal arts school? Though is a thing. It's kind of like at this point. Yes, like, they cut everything. I, I, one yeah. could argue that it is a forestry and business school with a vestigial like humanities building, mm-hmm. perhaps. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, it call. And a law um, school or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so so just of course increasingly cutting away the humanities liberal arts there. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean I think what, what we've talked a lot about it is with Missoula, we both noticed from just the time that we started college there to when we graduated, um, the downtown in particular just very visibly gentrifying. Yeah. And and we've talked about the ways that it's nothing new. <laughs> um, and particularly I think people who are from states with more populated cities, this pattern of gentrification people know very well. And it's it seems to be something that has kind of moved inward, mm-hmm. like from maybe the out, like the coast of the country inward, and it, it's kind of hitting us. It's not that gentrification is just hitting Missoula or Montana for the first time, but it's hitting this particular wave of it, which is the very like tech influenced, um, kind of pricing the the working and middle-class hipsters, right. <laughs> not just them though, um, not just pricing them out of their homes, but um, 
yeah, really, really turning small downtowns into, uh, you know, thriving beef broth joints and sake right. bars and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and whatever else. Startups whose business model is attempting to run gyms out of business, basically. Um, more <laughs> yeah, on that later. The more on that later. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so yeah. It, it's We're really um, just like the newest wave of, of gentrification that's really hitting us in the last couple of years. Right. And it's really noticeable to us. Yeah, everything that, that people saw in Seattle and San Francisco and the like, really following mm-hmm. the recession with that first like quote recovery quote and the Silicon Valley boom is basically now reaching out to hit us because um, it's a lot of the same people actually. The cost of living has gotten bad enough in Seattle or have you that even before even before COVID, people were like moving here from Seattle or San Fran or Los Angeles to work remotely from startups or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, or to work remotely more generally um, and to be able to basically buy a house with um, their wages from a much more high cost of living state and basically just buy up housing stock. And yeah. it was getting bad, but then it got really bad when COVID hit because then even more of them could work remotely and even more of them relocated. Uh, Missoula saw huge booms of people from Texas, from uh California, Washington, California. Oregon. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, like the classic boogeyman is California, but it's like, it's, <laughs> it's much broader than that. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, people have been- yeah. And now Texas apparently too. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's gotten increasingly noticeable during the pandemic. And right. there've been, I think there've been quite a few news articles. We really should dig some of them back up about sure. the sale of land in Montana during the mm-hmm. pandemic. Um, yeah, has yeah. just skyrocketed and this isn't just the urban areas and it's not just western montana of course yeah um, lots of people buying up big tracts of land in the west in general um, yeah. and in montana is definitely part of that and right. mostly people from from out of state or uh with a lot of money in state and and this mm-hmm. is also what has happened in montana in the last i don't know 40 years maybe 30 since i, was- I think this 30, yeah, 35. since like yeah. the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Um, 80s, like mid-80s, 90s. Mid-80s, they start watching Legends of the Fall. They start watching a river runs through it. They realize it's <laughs> right. out here and like yeah. finance from there. Uh, and there's here. just been a massive influx of wealth yeah. into Montana. And um, Absolutely, yeah. You know, our parents were both in their uh, like mid-20s, early 30s, in, in the 70s. Yeah. Um, early 80s and there's you know the the legislature the politics were noticeably um more labor focused mm-hmm. more um just much more uh, progressive yeah and have become um just increasingly conservative uh and not you know not even conservative but just increasingly based on the interests of wealth yeah. um and yeah, and wealthy people in the state. And mm-hmm. I think you've seen that in who our politicians have been as well. Right, yeah. Um, and the, yeah, the, the state has just noticeably, noticeably changed. Um, Fundamentally, Montana yeah. changed from a more labor-dominated state um, with actually like the most progressive cons- uh, constitu- state constitution like in the US as of 1976 to there's been a shift mm-hmm. of, like, of uh, heavy, heavy bursts of retirees and the like moving in from um, 
first retirees in the 80s and 90s moving from uh, mostly Orange, Orange County, actually, weirdly enough, in California and unlike mm. similar metro areas, but sort of like Republican strongholds outside metro areas to then in the 90s and aughts, you see the rise of sort of finance people relocating who are not yet retired. And then now, now we're seeing the tech boom, basically. And yeah. there's been a lot of growth of housing. Um, people are always saying, oh, we just need to build more housing, get out of the way, and let developers develop their way out of this. Um, mm -hmm. which has not worked out too well in that we now have Matt Rosendale as one of our, as our representative. And in that what housing does get built to quote, alleviate the problem is often luxury housing that does nothing that between the fact that it's luxury housing and between the fact that the just rush of people coming in is continuing is not sufficient to in any way materially alleviate the problem. Um, no, it's not affordable housing. <laughs> No, it's not. Um, Ain't none of that happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think I, I do want to make this point again that this, you know, to complain about gentrification is, uh, I think, a very socially situated thing. Like, who notices what gentrification and what waves and cycles of it? Right. And I think the reason that we notice this wave is, well, one, because we're not children. <laughs> um, yeah. as we were during last waves yeah. um, or not born, but we um, we noticed it because we were trying to pay for places to live in while we were going to college and right. um, and finishing college and starting and to finishing try and college find a job and yeah. <laughs> starting shitty jobs and yeah. um, I you know that I think that I would I would probably I wouldn't say that I I know the history of Missoula and its gentrification super well, but I, I do think that there, Missoula was originally like quite a working class town and in the Missoula that we knew when we went to college mm -hmm. also was, um, you know, fairly bougie. I mean, at least not right, yeah. compared to other other areas like where we grew up in right. Montana. And I think- We enrolled in like 20, there were, in 2011, which is like right at the peak of, right at the, just after the crest of UM enrollment yeah. and right after the crest of when things started to get really insane. So like- Yeah. The, the, so, the damage was kind of already being done at that point. Right, so, so we did kind of come in in the middle of this yeah, particular yeah. wave, but also I think that, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, you know, during the, late 70s, 80s, 90s in particular, there's um, more ways of gentrification displacing a lot of the working class people right. in Missoula, oh, in Bonner, yeah. <laughs> next to Missoula. Um, and yeah, probably- Less so in Bonner then, there was still a huge wood plant there, there until like the, until like 2010. So I mean- they Right, were which one that went out of business. Plant, but yeah. 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 Um, but also, there's, yeah. I think there's been like a, a wave before this where mm -hmm. people who are more middle-class going to college, yeah. um, you know, the kind of like young progressive type of the, the 80s, 90s. Right. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that was a significant way of gentrification that a lot of the, like say downtown mm -hmm. space and businesses that we knew that are now being displaced were displacing yeah. other people and other places. And, um, and then also not to belabor the point, but uh, I haven't even made it yet. This land was and is it's Salish land. And uh, until very recently, yeah, about a hundred years before yeah. our birth, yeah. our births yeah. was uh, 
the Salish people were living in the Bitterroot and mm. um, up through Missoula and were forcibly removed from yeah. that land. So, you know, <laughs> waves of, yeah, yeah. of removal and gentrification, and this is nothing new, but there is a yeah. particular wave of it happening right now that is very in line with the rest of the country mm -hmm. and that the city of Missoula seems to have very little um, ability <laughs> to combat, right. yeah. um, especially as they do things like wanting to mit mitigate gentrification in their plans for the future of the downtown, while at the same time saying, how can we attract tech? Yeah. How can we attract these kinds of businesses? And it's just the two are not, yeah. do not go together. I have two, I have two brief side notes. I fucked up a date. Uh, I, I, uh, I started attending you in, uh, in 2015. Uh, yeah, no, I'm already, we're just really getting the errata out of the way in the first place. Mm -hmm. And um, secondly, another thing that we should note is like there's stolen land and then there's like extremely stolen land. And I think you can argue that Missoula qualifies as extremely stolen extremely land. Stolen. Uh, again, we're going to get into this. We're going to get into this. Um, another problem for another day, for another episode, but yeah. And but to returning to the stream of progression of this episode, um, one example of what we could talk about to look at how the city is attempting to solve this problem and to look at how people are thinking we can get out of this problem is to look at some of what is getting built in Missoula right now and some of the mm -hmm. efforts that are being made to supposedly, you know, take the take the uh, Birkenstock off the throat slightly or the. Um, <laughs> Maybe the maybe the best spoke crock off the throat, what have you. Um, and uh, one of those is a up is a up and coming or possibly just about to begin construction. I forget exactly when um, structure called the Reed Montana um, or just the Reed R E E D as in like the the water grass. Um, there's not enough students to justify like spelling it the way about like literacy. Um, yeah, the read iconic residences. Iconic residences. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to read a bit from, we're just going to read a bit from their site just to sort of bounce that back and forth to give you an idea of the impression of the place. Um, first off, a bit of clarification, where is this happening? Um, if you know, um, if you've ever stood on the north bank of the Clark Fork, uh, kind of near the Higgins Bridge and looked across the river, you'll see the Missoulian building just upstream of the uh, Higgins Street Bridge, and then just upstream of that, three to four small houses. And what's this is going in where those houses are going in. I'm not like inherently opposed to like building stuff, but uh, I am opposed to building stuff that looks like shit. And honestly, uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna, you know, I'm calling balls and strikes here. Uh, they fucking whiffed on this. This is, uh, this is, this is a miss. Um, <laughs> is right yeah. in line with like every shitty gentrification styled building. Every new building over like three stories from the past five, 10 years looks exactly like this. Um, and I mean, I think the, the larger point here is yeah. the one that you've been, and we've both been making before. Sure. Yes. Um, we need some damn affordable housing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need carefully curated luxury apartments yeah. well you know there's apparently there's a market for it um uh, with you know your there, your bozeman there? based interior yeah. designer yeah uh, your luxury developer builders right it's just the epitome of yeah and i'm gonna get into how much this, i'm gonna get into how much this costs in a second but i think it's important to note that oh and uh, it's right on the damn river too it is no it's literally right in the river yeah um 
But it's also, it's being sort of figureheaded uh, by a former Grizz quarterback, actually, funnily enough, um, called mm-hmm. Cole Bergquist. So who has decided to give back to the city um, after about mm-hmm. 10 years post-leaving um, by coming back to build the Reed. And the vision of the Reed, to quote the site, is um, to celebrate place, seizing the astounding views of Missoula and the Clark Fork. I should reiterate, this is like a, what, five-story building? Um, while being conscious of the city fabric, I repeat myself. Um, which, uh, hey, yada, 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 yada. It, uh, it brings context, it's extensive use of brick brings context to downtown and historic Missoula, which is only a short walk for the building residents, yada, yada. But the really interesting point is where it starts going off about its, uh, its iconic status. And I'm trying to find that right now. Um, yeah, is it just me or does their website take forever to load? Yeah, um, every website looks the same now and they're all poorly built. We could return, uh, we could and should return to like lower by, there we go. I think it's the residences tab. Yeah. Just again, you have, they've built a site that is both bad and very slow. Um, they're offering luxury packages. It, its vision for, is, to exper- is to offer an experience true to Montana, but with a chic urban edge. And by that, we mean mm-hmm. you can see Montana from it, basically. Um, yeah. Montana, as they note, is renowned for its wide open spaces, which they're currently taking up. Um, mm-hmm. And they're just sort of really harping on the Missoula experience when you're living here, which is kind of true. Um, I currently live in France and I've talked to some friends who live in Paris in the past. And they've mentioned that kind of in some situations, the best view of Paris is from the big shitty apartment, is is from the big shitty office building because you can't see it. And in that sense, I guess they have a point that they are offering Mm. a new and better view of of Missoula. Yeah, they're just swapping out. Yeah. The wide open spaces with wide open floor plans of right. this weird ass Seattle architecture that's been yeah. popping up around Missoula, kind of yeah. on the north side and and on the, the east side too. It look, yeah. I, I don't even know how to describe it, but yeah, it's very like modern, looks like something you'd see at Seattle. It's not modern. Modernist architecture is good. It's just like bad. <laughs> I don't know this. Yeah, I wish it was um, modernist. I would be cool. Good monochrome it. interiors. Yeah, it's all very yeah. minimalist. It's got like the same like Danish chairs that you see in every Airbnb <laughs> in the country. Yeah, it's very like Ikea yeah. chic. Yeah. Um, but anyway. yeah, I mean, this is the sort of thing that like this this particular way of gentrification, mm-hmm. it, like it has a look to it. You know, I mean, they all ha- they always have like a an aesthetic to them, I think. Ben, but and this, this one, one's aesthetic this one, is very it, nicely yeah. encapsulated. It's more sanitized. It's more, it's just like, it's very sleek. It's like kind of on some sort of like. It's one with the earth. It's it's one with the earth in the way that like a, one of those like sleeveless Patagonia vest with like a finance, with like a finance brand embroidered onto it is one with the earth. <laughs> Kill it with fire, um, burn it down. Uh, the penthouse apartments on the fourth floor cost, I believe, $1.44 million a piece. I shit you not. Um, and they're including a very small amount of affordable housing, but that's just sort of a cover for the fact that the rest of it is, again, grotesquely expensive. It doesn't really matter if you're, if you are building a, if you build, if you add like 2% affordable housing in a giant structure that's all sort of driving up the value of how drive up the cost of housing everywhere else you are not solving the problem you're just 
you are accelerating it a bit less slowly than if you did have that other those other three apartments still be like for 500k for a studio but yeah this is happening we yeah, back, so, we'll get back into that another point but yeah go ahead yeah i mean it's one of those buildings where you're like is it a brewery or is it an office building or an apartment I love also they have like the Subaru parked out front. It's all of them at once. It's all of them at once, right? It's all of them at once. Oh, isn't there a place being built downtown that's like a apartments with a brewery beneath or something? Like Missoula's brewery count has just gone off the rocker. No, that one's if if it's the one that that's replacing the Firestone building, that's a hotel, I think. Is it a hotel? Something has a brewery in the bottom. Oh, it also has a brewery in the bottom. Okay. All, okay. all of this shit has a brewery in the bottom. The, has fucking, a brewery. the fucking Rome building, which is mm. kind of like the reed before the reed, also has like a brewery that I could not afford to drink in in the bottom. Yeah. For that matter. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so I, I mean, I think the picture is painted. Yeah. The picture is painted. <laughs> I think we've look, uh... up, look up the readmt.com. It's shit. Um, yeah. I mean, it probably isn't yeah. even that shocking to people who are used to this shit that's like, true that's true like we've been saying a million times i mean this is hitting it's not just hitting right now but it you can really see like the aesthetics of it hitting yeah you know in a particular happening in, way happening in philadelphia now. happening in new york well it kind of already happened in mm-hmm. new york uh and it's just really jarring i think because even montana yeah, cities absolutely. even though they're they're cities they're usually like the from most points in the city, you can still see like the surrounding world outside of the city. You can see big mountains or, um, you know, it's it's not blocked in and totally urban. And it is Mm -hmm. just like a particularly jarring thing to see these places popping up. Right, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's kind of a a parallel, one last parallel before we move on is um, all of the giant, Missoula has decided to pop up a bunch of a bunch of giant bank buildings in the last five years, uh, several of which are all by Stock and Bank, um, and uh, for reasons that are actually not crime, but for um, uh, but for work I had to go up into the Stock and Bank uh, a couple times um, in the past year and a half, and I actually was able to realize the fact that this giant Stock and Bank building, which is like a five-story building that's built with with taxpayer money um, through a program called through a program called TIF, Tax Increment Financing, which says basically, we will not apply the taxes from the downtown area, for example, to the general fund. We will only spend them on the downtown area or insert random neighborhood. This is how the mall keeps getting bigger. Um, so this all went into building an apartment, a uh, office building with two, two of the five floors are occupied by the bank whose name it bears, the bottom floor and the top floor. And then the second floor is occupied by a lawyer's office. I got to see the third and fourth floor, which are literally completely vacant and just like mm. concrete and studs. Concrete and pillars, not even studs. Like this is what we're getting, it, this is kind of how this works. People build this shit for the tax money and because they get a free building and because it's an investment, they're in no hurry to actually, because it's privately owned, they're in no hurry to actually let it go to use, to put it to use, to house people to give people a place to work. Yeah. My prediction Meanwhile, is that the city's like racing to house people every winter so they don't yeah. freeze to death outside. Right. Yeah. So my prediction for this is it'll be just another example of this or the sawmill or Rome where it's like 20, it's partially full for people who can afford to live there maybe, 
mostly empty, taking up a lot of space, taking up a lot of taxpayer money to get it built in terms of subsidies. And it'll be a mm-hmm. giant- just, City land. City <laughs> land, just a giant drain on this. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, we should move forward. Yeah, we should. Um, I'm getting a little bit of feedback. Are you? Me, okay. Like every once in a while, I'm getting a slight Better? like tick. Okay, that might, yeah. I think that's, this is this is my headphone cable touching the table. I'm gonna wait, <laughs> waiting that shit down with my phone. Moving okay. on. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I there's a lot of content here and I think a lot of this stuff, not that we need to talk about the read anymore. I think we've kind no, of beat that yeah. horse, but I think there's a lot to talk about within Missoula Gentrification, Nick we, Dakota, et yeah. cetera, in future Yeah, we will revisit this. Um, but what? How would you feel about moving on to critical infrastructure? That's my plan. Um, then getting into kind of KXL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. KXL is obviously another motivating factor for us um, because of the fact that Keystone it's, XL pipeline. Yeah, Keystone XL pipeline. For the reasons that it is bad bullshit, and that for some reason every politician in the state seems to be a rabid supporter of it, for reasons that presumably have no relation to campaign contributions whatsoever. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think for a little bit of context, there's, um, I mean, there's always, there's always, you know, extractive projects, um, fights going on around the country against extractive environmental projects, mm-hmm. et cetera. Uh, but there's been, in the last year or so, there's kind of been a, a confluence of, of quite a few different struggles that are big, big struggles. And yeah. Um, and I, I think a lot of that is because it's like, you know, the clock is ticking down on climate change for pipelines and such. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, you They're know, trying to get this stuff built as fast as possible before we realize this can. is a terrible idea. Yeah. Just yeah, exactly. Like, um, under the wire. So Keystone XL pipeline, which has a ridiculous history, but yeah. basically it's a Canadian oil pipeline uh, carrying tar sands, I believe, from yeah. uh, Canada down to the, the coast, mm-hmm. Gulf Coast, down to the um, coast yep. of the U.S. And um, it's been it's been like revived and canceled a couple times yeah. by different presidents. Obama canceled it. And then in 2017, mm-hmm. Trump reinstated this pipeline. And the pipeline is built all the way through Canada, right to the border with Montana. Yeah. Um, and, and so sec- there's been- Sections are built, are built elsewhere, right? Like there's like a section I, down in Missouri maybe, or. Yeah. Build. Oh. oh, shoot. I just I'm lost back. you from. Nope, I'm back. Um, I probably didn't record okay. that. Though. I don't know if we talked over each other. Uh, you talked really okay, fast. Well, whatever. Like, um, what, what, were you, what were you saying? Oh, did it do that thing where it like didn't. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the, the point is this pipeline has been like on the docket for a while, different yeah. organizations and tribes in Montana have been fighting it off and on. Mm-hmm. Um, and throughout the end of this Trump presidency, they've been going to build it and they've been kind of staved off by lawsuits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the process of that is really interesting. Like how the kind of legal arguments you have to make to get pipelines stopped, which are usually not about the pipeline itself. It's right. about like, Oh, it, it, uh, dangers this species if you mm-hmm. drill under a body of water or uh this is against um this tribe's um 
treaty from 1885. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like those are the kind of argument, like legal arguments yeah. you often have to make to stop things like a pipeline because we don't actually have the legal frameworks to right. just stop pipelines for like rights of nature purposes and right. and people's rights and whatever. But yeah, and we should we um, should just sort of give a quick rundown beyond just like the risk to uh, the 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 problems of sovereignty and the problems with um, like animal rights, which are which are important. But mm-hmm. this often gets phrased as a people who are opposed to climate change want it stopped because of climate change. And that's part of it, obviously. But there's other aspects, too, um, one of which is um, the, the water problem to it. It's why, uh, which is that. Um, it's usually our, crossing a river yeah. <laughs> just upstream of a reservation. Right. And also, in one case, just upstream of like the entire watershed of like Chicago and like the, the, mm-hmm. like the, the western Midwest. Um, yeah. It uh, tar, tar sands are really corrosive. They eat through pipelines like I eat through, I don't know, bread or something. It's it, They're very corrosive <laughs> and they're very sludge like. That's a terrible, yeah, exactly, yeah. They're a terrible, yeah. they're, they're, they basically eat through the pipeline because of, and when they do, they get everywhere very fast in a way that oil doesn't as well. So, I mean, and the, the job argument is probably is most of why people like Tester and the and uh, Danes and the like are supporting this. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Um, but that better. Yeah. But that opposition is often. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, but the I think jobs aspect it doesn't isn't even a thing. It's a thing. The jobs aspect it provides a couple mm. thousand jobs short term, and then like short-term. 50 50 guys to maintain it, and then. Mm-hmm. year on year just actuary in a sense of like actuarial risk like the risk of it like spilling at any given time is extremely high 100 yeah. percent. they always spill pipelines always spill they always spill and, and tar sand places yeah mm-hmm. um and, and the jobs thing too it's it's interesting because it it's usually not people from montana you know who are going to be working there um it's a massive massive issue with um man camps being set up where a lot of usually men come in from out of state mm-hmm. and are living in these temporary housing situations while working on a pipeline. They're often next to indigenous communities or That's poor right. communities yeah. or yeah. other communities of color. Um, and there are huge problems with sex trafficking, mm-hmm. um, missing and murdered indigenous people and women. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a real bad deal. And I think yeah. It's not, I don't think it's true to say there's no economic boost to the surrounding areas, like in rural Montana, in eastern Montana, you know, those people are going to be living near small towns, they're going to be buying things there and injecting mm-hmm. some money into the economy. And that's true. Um, and it's also true that it's, it's very short term, and they're dangerous jobs. And yeah. um, usually the, the pipeline companies come along and give some incentive to the local communities that is a small thing (laughs) a small thing um to give them huge problems down the road when they're going to have spills they're going to have social fallout and it's not going to economically reverse what is happening in a lot of these communities and that isn't to say that that's right and that um a lot of rural communities haven't been you know, incredibly gotten the short end of the stick and just been victimized by, um, by capital and by the ability of, um, of these companies to come in and extract labor and 
life energy from people and siphon all that money straight into their own pockets and oftentimes into into more urban areas. So like there's a right, lot yeah. to get into there. Um, yeah, it's but, not like the benefit the benefits of the, of the pipeline. The benefits of, build, of building that are not going to be going into a sovereign wealth fund for the tribes or states yeah. in the area at all. It's a Canadian company making money. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's Texas. It's some. It's a couple of Texas refineries, many of which are owned by like the same bastards who put us into Iraq. Um, fundamentally it's, yeah it's it's, it's a loose the whole cacophony yeah you've got all the elements here i mean this is and these kinds of huge pipelines like keystone xl or mm-hmm. line three that is currently being protested in northern minnesota i mean these are the kind of pipelines that people call like these are planet ending pipelines like if, right. if the right. amount of oil they want to transport through these things actually goes to market is sold and is burned like it's game over yeah um so this pipeline was was reinstated by Trump. They've been trying to build it, keep mm-hmm. getting stalled in the courts. Um, Biden comes in on day one. He had to make a campaign promise. He was pushed by the left, I guess, to uh, Ooh, the cancel left. TXL. So yeah. He, yeah, so he had to make campaign promise. He he would cancel it, and he did. Possibly on one of one of a very small number of his of his campaign promises that he's actually bothered to do anything about. So I mean, uh, yeah, I mean those yeah. concrete things like that, where he has a bunch of you know like environmental organizations on his case. <laughs> I think he's, yeah. he's pretty beholden to those types of promises. Um, yeah, the, you know, police the, abolition reform being an entirely different story. The problem with raising the minimum wage is that there's a lot more people with money who are donating to, say, uh, protect the environment than there are who are, you know, trying to get the minimum wage raised to a less, to a closer to living wage, you know. Uh, people who yeah. are making and, less and than 15 thing. an hour tend to not have money to donate to lobby things. Yeah. 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 And, and with Keystone as well, it's mm-hmm. not, it's a pipeline that isn't just affecting Poor communities or indigenous communities it's also going through the land of many more well-off and white landowners throughout yeah. the united states so Absolutely, it has yeah. significant it's a very unpopular pipeline has significant pushback from a lot of different people which is not as much the case although i think the coalition has definitely expanded on like line three in minnesota started mm-hmm. as indigenous resistance right. and indigenous resistance to this pipeline going through their wetlands um, and their their land that is that is given to them through treaty treaty obligations but as you know the coalition has expanded in recent recent um, months but it's it'll be interesting to see what Biden does with yeah. say line three and there um, is all which this, it's yeah. being asked to cancel and there is all of this opposition to it and um, their latest approach to dealing with the opposition is to introduce what are called critical infrastructure bills in a lot of legislatures mm-hmm. along the path of these pipelines. By they, I mean um, basically far-right packs like um, like the American leg- like Alec, the American Legislative Something Council, um, who are all like heavily heavily funded by oil money. Um, but they've introduced a lot of their classic sort of like plug-and-play bills. We'll talk about Alec later in another episode. Um, but these bills are basically criminalizing any kind of, pro- of protest against the um, against these pipelines, uh, mm-hmm. because um, 
And in the case of the Montana one, what it's currently, what they're currently arguing for, calling for is um, a bill that basically criminalizes anything ranging from like accidentally stepping over a property line while protesting to uh, anything as small as like fucking keying a pipeline, like even like very, very petty vandalism. Um, and mm -hmm. it is uh, making them, giving them, giving some pretty severe legal uh, legal pen penalties for this kind of action as well. Um, yeah. Just trying to scan through one of these bills real fast, but um, if memory serves, there's like very, there we go. Um, I mean, there's the, the section two, crim criminal penalties. Uh, a person who no willfully and knowingly trespasses or enters property containing a critical infrastructure facility, which includes pipelines and probably like a place making fucking Funko Pops because they're made out of like plastic, it's a very broadly worded bill, um, will be guilty of a, of a misdemeanor punishable by a fine of not more than $1,500 or also or by imprisonment in the county jail for not more than six months or both. Mm -hmm. or, yeah, so this is a... Oh, go ahead. And that's the lowest level. It goes up from there yeah. to a fine to if you intend to willfully damage, destroy, yada, 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 tamper with, or even impede so say people trying to slow down the process at all, it goes up to a felony punishable by a fine of not more than $4,500 um, or by imprisonment for not more than 18 months. Um, and then if you willfully vandalize or deface or tamper with equipment on a facility, you are guilty of a felony fine of not more than $150,000 or imprisonment for not more than 30 years or both. This is fucking draconian. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these types of um, these types of bills. It sounds like they've been around mm -hmm. for a couple of years anyway. And we have a Huff Post article um, that is specifically talking about this kind of critical infrastructure protection yeah. bill mm -hmm. being introduced in Minnesota, which is really pertinent to the Line Three protests that are happening right now. Yeah. Um, and again, these bills are fundamentally it sounds, the same. Yeah, there. I mean, there. It sounds like the Minnesota one is even more severe than the Montana one, but mm -hmm. they're they've been passed in a couple different states, and they're currently being. Uh, they've been introduced in the legislatures of, of another couple states, Montana being one of them. Primarily, states that have a lot of this kind of like protest over uh, pipelines and other extraction projects. Right. Yeah. Um, Oh, here it says it's uh, been approved in 14 states, actually, and is under consideration in Arkansas, Montana, and Kansas, as well as Minnesota. Right. Um, yeah, this so great, and, great and company a to be lot in. of these are primarily yeah. primarily targeting indigenous people, <laughs> uh, but they, but they yeah. do target everyone, you know, anyone who's going to end up protesting these kinds of projects. Um, and the Montana bill was in committee last week when we first recorded, mm -hmm. but... Uh, I, I haven't actually followed up to see if it's how, how it fared in committee. Yeah, I um, forgot to track it. Um, it's probably still active. Yeah. I haven't heard of it being mm -hmm. voted down. Um, I would have heard it was voted down, but. Um, yeah, so we don't know exactly what amendments came up in that bill, but the point is that, and I think we've talked about this quite a bit, that when you start to have fervor over certain concepts like terrorism, <laughs> or domestic terrorism, yeah. um, 
even though these bills, these kinds of bills have been in circulation for a while mm -hmm. uh, and they're nothing new, if you use a logic like domestic terrorism because we're upset about a bunch of yahoos attacked, attacking capital you know, in January, mm -hmm. um, that kind of fervor that is created around that trickles down in ways that often the people who are using it don't want. So if you use that kind of logic, it's also going to be applied to things like protesting pipelines, yeah. you know, protesting issues that we don't want to be criminalized. <laughs> yeah, let's let's not forget like the the guys, uh, the the folks out in Oregon uh, back in like 2002, 2003, who got charged with fucking terrorism for burning down a timber a timber plant um, because the uh, because um, or like and like got hit with like terrorism charges and like that level of intensifier mm -hmm. on their act uh, on um, their sentences. First off, there's already yeah, like, like it's, it's not like they don't have to, to borrow a point from from I believe um, the A Lab podcast. Uh, it's not like they don't already have laws on the books to handle this behavior to handle like actual terrorism because they charged the guys who did who did the capital with law with things. If they didn't, they charged them with crimes because the crimes were already on the books. So this is just both adding more adding more tools to the feds um, to the feds toolbox and B much like all of this stuff will be applied much more than anybody expects on, and usually on vulnerable mm -hmm. people and people yeah. who critique. More, it's current, going to be thing. more so yeah. applied. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it really gets into, and th these are not new points. Um, right. But what do we say when we actually talk about like abolishing police and um, decreasing surveillance and, yeah if we're actually being real about those things, it means really interrogating like the logics that we're using <laughs> to talk about even the people who we don't like and who we might be very diametrically, diametrically opposed to. Um, right, yeah. And it, it's anytime something is made into law enforcement, it's always gonna be used against <laughs> the very same people it's always used against which are poor people and people of color yeah. and people who are rocking the boat. Um, mm -hmm. It's always going to be used against us and those groups more than it's going to be used against the people you're trying to target. That's right. Yeah. I mean, so, it, like, what it, are we it, doing here? The district attorneys are not noted like environmentalists uh, or um, nor are like the, the FBI noted big fans of say freedom of expression by people on the left or, um, protest in favor of racial justice or even like being in a movie with a director who kind of doesn't like capitalism like this this stuff is there's a long history of this stuff been here for a while do not give the feds more guns either metaphorically or literally it's a bad idea mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah. yeah yeah i mean i think it brings up a lot of questions for me around like who are we who are we allied with and who are we against and I think that that's something we don't really need to get into today but it would be interesting yeah. for like, future topics conversation like okay so we have this siege on the capitol and like yeah neither of us would be like yeah we, we're into those people <laughs> we're um we're for what they did but it, I think it raises really serious questions that we need to be clear about our own yeah. like reasons for 
say, opposing government and, and what might be the forces that would cause us to be opposed to our own government and what might have caused these people to be opposed to it? And what are some of the, not similar threads, but what are some of the forces that are causing both of us to be reactive to a very oppressive force? Right. And I think we really need to be clear about those things and like try to understand the contradictions in our own positions Mm -hmm. um, or we're not gonna be able to build (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) a point was made by somebody on twitter that i just pulled up uh which is that storming the Capitol was the was the right idea executed by the wrong people making the wrong demands and i think that's a pretty (laughs) that's a yeah that's that's i can get behind that honestly is the thing like i'm i am quite opposed to people attempting to like commit acts of of extrajudicial violence um and overturn elections in that and the like, that's bad, obviously. I don't think I need to say that, but I'm gonna throw it out there anyway, just in case like wires get twisted. Yeah, Um, (laughs) but there's this fundamental like knee-jerk desire in American society, I think, to to police and to incarcerate your your way out of problems Mm -hmm. that you already incarcerated your way into uh, or to attempt to means test solutions of things to make sure to give to give the people in charge the right way to make sure that things get to where they're needed which always means that they're basically going to people with money um and that are that they're basically excluding people who are needing to be benefit to, to benefit uh, from the thing um mm-hmm. and you yeah. can see this a lot actually recently in terms of the dial in terms of the dialogue that's happening around COVID and COVID relief um and that um what we saw was initially there was a there was a call and there was a acknowledgement more or less that we were going to get that day one to paraphrase to literally quote Biden that day one of his presidency we were we were getting two thousand dollar checks out the door, um, and hints of like more stuff beyond that retroactive checks and the like and now we're currently down to the current situation where <laughs> where any kind of a minimum wage has been stripped out of it. It's like 1.9 trillion uh, total, much of which is going to like finance and major business. And um, fundamentally, I think the numbers, the number for actual minimum wage going out has gone from uh, under Trump, it was means tested to everybody below $100,000 a year last uh, in their 2019 taxes would get 2K uh, and did get 2K, I think. And now it's currently down to, I believe, everybody who is under $50,000 a year is going to get $1,400 or something like that. And I should note that it's also, um, as we're recording this, uh, not to date ourselves or anything, um, but as we're recording this, it's currently March 6th and uh, the inauguration was on uh, January 20th. So how's mm-hmm. that going for you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I think, I, yeah, all your points have, are good and, um, mm-hmm. It is also maybe a, a good point to just kind of loop in this conversation about this, uh, you know, COVID relief bill, right. which our own state senators, uh, the Montana senators have, uh, yeah. are attempting to attach a rider to this bill to yes. reinstate the Keystone XL pipeline and you know, like go over the presidential executive order which you know i'm not yeah, against yeah. going over executive orders no yeah but um this one in particular both the democrat and the Mo- and the republican who are montana's two senators yeah are, are trying to get this this pipeline reinstated mm-hmm. and there's just a really interesting history with 
the Democrat in particular, a guy named John Tester, who's yeah. been in office for quite a while in Montana. He comes from rural north, northern mm-hmm. Montana called yep. the High Line. Yep. Um, I think he comes from- uh, Big Sandy? Come from Big Sandy or Box Elder? Oh, he's Big Sandy. Uh, he's from um, Big Sandy now. He might be originally from Box Elder. I don't know, but he's okay. living in Big Sandy. Yeah, and um, I think there's there's a lot more to, to probably come on this, but we could just yeah, say yeah. a little bit about the the political situation of a particularly Democratic Party, right, in Montana, and and who are able to field, yeah, and, um, and see as candidates. Yeah, it kind of seems like testers decided that we kind of, that the people of Montana weren't really suffering enough and that we both do not need a higher minimum wage from, again, eight fucking 75, but also that we really, what we really need to sort of like solve our public health problems and the economic impacts of that is a literal seeping wound of a pipeline that will like, you know, cause all kinds of fun problems and totally not be the latest like Libby or Butte ass like Super fun site. And Super fun, yeah. 25 years, whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I think it was... Uh, Tester is kind of like Joe Manchin mm-hmm. um, from West with Virginia. Be- Joe Manchin with better branding a little and, better. A, and, like, kind of a cooler just, like, thing going on. Like, he has, like, a flat <laughs> top. He- He's got the flat top. He's, like, missing a few fingers from the meat grinder deal when he was, Oh, like, this is Tester. Yeah, Tester. Yeah. So like I mean like he, yeah. has, he has a cool that Manchin can't touch is a thing. Mm-hmm. We, I am not I'm not attempting to target Agreed Tester's signs. like aesthetics. His aesthetics are a one on this. But, they are yeah, and yeah. and Tester's like he's really interesting because I think we talk about him a lot as like he's a guy who who really like speaks to a lot of Montanans who mm-hmm. um, aren't usually heard in in both the national process and um not so much statewide but he he really speaks to yeah they're, they're place, definitely you know, they're he's definitely a farmer. Heard, yeah they're heard he grew up on a farm yeah um he runs a lentil farm still mm-hmm. uh well somebody runs a farm he's in dc most yeah. of the time <laughs> but, but yeah, i've heard he like comes home every week and um he's a he's a democrat and he's he's supported a, a lot of and and blocked a lot of bad stuff and he's also done a lot for veterans in montana which has definitely earned him a lot of points like he i think he has carefully molded his his image and and carefully um maintained certain positions so that he can continue to be elected and he he doesn't get elected by a lot um no yeah he won by eighteen thousand votes last year last sorry yeah. um in 2018 in yeah so I, I mean i think like the K, the KXL thing, like trying to get that reinstated, like, yeah, sucks. Um, it really sucks. And one thing that we talk about a lot is why can't we have people running for office who like have the background experience of people like Tester? Like why are our Democrats, A, always have to be like liberals from the mostly urban areas and and B, why can't we have people who have more of like Tester's vibe happening and, and his uh, kind of not urban um, understanding of the areas of Montana that are not usually what people privilege, which is the Western part, the more mm-hmm. urban parts, who actually like doesn't just have to compromise on like 
and be like a neolib guy. Like, why can't we have people who have more of a um, like agrarian populist, but also dare I say socialist <laughs> vibe to them? Uh, not even not you know. Ourselves. Let's not get ahead of ourselves there, but yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I don't but think yeah. I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah. Like, I I would say that again, and I think about about um, I wouldn't necessarily use yeah. the term like okay. socialist, yeah, because I don't think that we're going to have a thriving DSA out here anytime soon. I don't think yeah. that's like necessarily the way to go for a place like Montana. Yeah. Um, but I think I people mean, who it was, understand. It was, it was though a hundred years ago, bring it back. Right. Let's yeah. Do it. And we, we can get into that. Yeah. But, but I think there's just a lot of, I just have a lot of questions and confusion about why we, we never have seemed like we never have candidates who mm-hmm. are in that realm who have, the interests of rural and working people um, and indigenous people in mind who also won't sell out on like every environmental process and um, just have to, you know, play this game of, um, of like being, being the centrist dude, you know? What's the problem is like most of them don't have any combativeness to them. And like Tester, I have my very strong critiques of Tester on a lot of things, including the fact that, uh, you know, again, he's like, he's opposing a minimum wage hike that would like raise a lot of boats more on that later. Um, But also, but he also like when he does choose to, he has this real combativeness towards like, towards the issues. He's willing to fight for stuff. And you don't see that Mm -hmm. from a lot of like the Dems that have ran for office. It's like, like yeah. a, it, they're entering, they're entering like with this, like, we're going to be bipartisan. We're going to like work with folks. We're going to like, we're reaching to the middle and there's Tester often does wind up reaching to the middle, but he has, he has a real fire with him in him against a lot of, um, against the people he chooses to oppose, which are only a subset of people who I think he should oppose, but, but he does have that real fire when he's fighting for, uh, when he's like going for veterans or whatever. Um, mm-hmm fighting in favor of veterans, not fighting against veterans. Um, and uh, that's the thing that like, you don't see from a lot of the recent candidates. It's like either like, aside from the flat out amazing uh, election, I forget when it was, it was like Rosendale v. whoever, um, like six years ago, when it just turned into like, was it like Quiz and Dune Forte? I forget. When, when, some, when basically the two candidates just started shooting TVs with each other's faces on them. Like that was amazing. But like, I'm not saying, I'm, <laughs> yeah. not, saying, I'm not saying going that, going that direction necessarily. Although I am saying that as a person who like is in media, that's very funny. Um, but like, there's a certain level of like, this sort of like hostility towards those in power, I think. And a certain level of just like actual, mm-hmm. like just representing the frustration that has driven a lot of Montanans out of the political process. And that has made a lot of Montanans sort of tune out from things. It's just it's just missing. There's there's yeah. no there's no sense of outrage. There's no sense of like willingness to fight for for things. Um, it seems like Tester is clear on his commitments. Yeah. We just wish his commitments were broader. Would be better in <laughs> yeah. a lot of yeah. instances. Yeah. Yeah, like, and and I think the question yeah. is like, why can't the Democratic Party be fielding more of those like candidates who yeah. have like <laughs> commitments that would be more aligned with working people and um, right. actually making sure we have a, like an earth to live on and, mm-hmm. and indigenous people and, and such, and the rural part of the state yeah. who- Being able to have good conditions, yeah. Yeah, like, and I'm not saying that I think 
those kind of candidates would just like, oh yeah, these people will win. I have no idea, but I just, I haven't even ever seen that kind of candidate, at least on the mm-hmm. statewide or not and, the statewide, but the like running for the national yeah. offices. And as a corollary to that, why, if, if we are not getting those candidates out, what is it that the Democrats have been doing that is not speaking to mm-hmm. that? What, why are the Democrats not generating that? Because that's clearly what's needed to win. That's, that's clearly why these candidates, that's part, a part of why these candidates are losing. It's that they're, they're running these like anodyne campaigns that ignore the real issues on the ground. They ignore the issues on the ground of like being able to afford housing and eat and being able to like get healthcare. Mm-hmm. If, if, the, if we're not generating the kind of candidates that can win, if the Dems are not generating the kind of candidates that can win, what are they doing wrong and how should they change to better reflect working Montana and to better reflect indigenous Montana and the mm-hmm. people who are currently being entirely left out? Right, like as opposed to yeah. just finding people who have like a vaguely liberal take on everything. Yeah. Who can dress up the part <laughs> you can put them in a carhartt coat and stick right, them in the yeah, field yeah, yeah you know for their shots like show them out fishing or hunting yeah <laughs> like as opposed to just constantly fielding that right. like where are, are, do the people exist i think they probably exist you know <laughs> i think they exist in montana i just yeah. i don't understand why the democratic party isn't fielding any of this um and like fielding people who instead of like having to be dressed up as the part actually come from the role, come from the place. Right. And, yeah. and, and have a message, like, have a message to push for, for stuff too. That is like, I don't even know what the word is. Um, Transformative maybe. I don't know. Trans- like, yeah. That, that isn't just, you know, holding the line for the party and, um, always falling back into like the same old patterns of exploitation that I yeah. think John Tester falls back into. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. on a fundamental, le- a fundamental level, yes, politics is a game of aesthetics and you do need to play the aesthetic game to win, but you also need to have politics people to can win. See through that stuff. People can see through like, that. We can if you tell just when have, you just, just threw your have, Bozeman yeah. candidate yeah. in a fringe jacket. You know? Right. If you Everyone just knows. Have, If you just do the aesthetics and you do not obviously have no politics, people will not give a shit about your aesthetics. Yeah. And also, I mean, it's not just a question of does the party reflect Montana, but you can also use politics. Politics is a two-way street. It's not just trying to elect a candidate. It's also to to gain power. You also need to bring people around as well to bring Mm -hmm. the voter base around, to develop a party, to develop a group of people who who have a consciousness of what's happening and who can articulate what has happened to them into words and who know what they need and who can put into words what is currently disaffection. And yeah, that's also a thing exactly. that's massively lo- that's all that's also massively lacking right now, I think. Yeah, any kind of like <sighs> grassroots organizing that is not just coming from kind of your usual nonprofit organization yeah. that is you know run by issue. your middle class upper middle class <laughs> yeah. people from the more urban areas like mm-hmm. there's 
Yeah, I mean, there there are those, like there are pockets of that happening. And, and I don't mean to say that none of that is happening, but it right, isn't yeah. happening on any sort of like sustained and and widespread scale so that I think most people even have any idea of that. Or and there isn't a lot of coherence, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. to, or, or like coming together around um, mm-hmm. like certain understandings of, of like, I don't, I don't know. Is it understandings of what we're opposed to? Because I don't want to just be negative. Like we only can be united as, as opposed to something. But I think that that's an important part of it too, is like yeah. being clear about what is constantly undercutting people in this right. state. Yeah. And what yeah. you're fighting and what you're fighting for as well and offering a way out from this, because so much of this, I say this as a person who has worked in the nonprofit sphere of some and who has a lot of friends who do, but so much of it is attempting to put band-aids on like a person who has a much larger wound or to put band-aids on the large wound. And it's like, you're just, there's just not, you have like five, 10 guys, five, 10 people who are all attempting to heal various injuries, various symptoms of the disease, but you're not attempting to heal what's happening. You're not attempting to, to mm-hmm. maybe to put a tourniquet on something as opposed to letting it continue to bleed out. You're not, you're just, you have people working in a disorganized sense when they're working and they have good intentions, but perhaps they're not following through and they're perhaps not like pulling things together and building something that perhaps can go beyond just trying to save the patient's life to giving the patient a good quality of life, perhaps afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and obviously a lot of this stuff is connected into national politics and of course and waves of like great disaffection and and incredible rift between communities that is that is um, endemic to the United States right now yeah, and yeah. in particular like rural areas and yeah. um, and and it's not to say that like oh, the Montana Democratic Party can just solve these things by doing X, Y, or Z, but I don't even hear those conversations happening in most spaces and like an understanding of like, what, okay, what is wrong in Montana? (laughs) Well, I would say what is wrong is pretty much what's wrong everywhere, which is massive influxes of wealth and the power that comes with that and everybody having to cater to that Mm -hmm. and everybody having this understanding that if we just go back to the center, if we just become centrist again, that's gonna solve the problem when that's exactly what like gives rise right. to these crises of incredible disaffection and split. Yeah. And like instead a, of being clear about like who are our solidarities with. Right. You know? Our solidarity. And maybe we are not, clear. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Our and it's not who we would like that yeah. to be. Yeah. Yeah. It does not like it's just like we're at the we're at the we're at what is hopefully the bottom of a 45 year slide. Uh, and we're attempting to pull the plane up before it sort of reaches the mantle core of the earth, roughly. Um, and at a certain point, I mean, like, you know, like the Montana Democratic Party did just did just get completely fucking massacred in November, like, mm-hmm. brutally so. Um, yeah. And Which there's is really nothing new. There's uh, it's, 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 it's a new level, though, I think. Mm. And we're just not seeing like the kind of discussions in the wake mm-hmm. of that that need to happen to just like acknowledge the fact that the way things have been going for the longest time is failing or has failed and that it's yeah. time to attempt to build something. It's time to attempt to perhaps rebuild, perhaps start anew. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's kind of this giant 
vacant burning question of how do you how how do you attempt to give people in Montana a better life and a better life that they can that will not like cut the ground from beneath them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that just constantly outsources uh, the exploitation of that process onto like the same people, earth creatures that don't have as much of a voice. Yeah, um, we're saying that tech will save us. That yeah. some new random nonprofit that is founded in Kalispell will suddenly will suddenly mm-hmm. <laughs> will suddenly give jobs or and, and like give a and give everything and be a panacea and become the next Google and be the savior of Montana, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think like we have seen and heard these conversations happening in other parts of the country and, and places that have some similarities to Montana. Um, And, and I, I just feel very confused or unsure about why we haven't seen some of the similar revivals as other areas have seen in um, like populist, a populist left, I guess, that isn't just progressive liberalism in the urban areas. Like, I think there are other areas of the country, not that this is a massive revival, but that have seen more of a resurgence of interest in this and conversation Mm -hmm. about this. And it's not that there aren't people in Montana who are interested in this. I just don't see it and I don't hear it happening. And I think I'm plugged in enough to a lot of these networks that I would hear it if they were actually, if people felt like they had any kind of momentum. And I don't think a lot of people do. And, And I think most of, like most of the resurgence of any kind of, um, like leftist or populist politics are indigenous led right now and and led by people of color but they're still they're not something that like we have a lot of access to or that is really happening outside of very particular spaces and very Mm -hmm. particular conversations in the state and so I, I just I am very confused by this and and really grappling with like what what are the particularities of Montana and of the Mountain West more broadly where we don't see this happening yet. Um, mm-hmm. You know, cause we're not just gonna be able to import the DSA model. That's no, not yeah. what it is here. Um, yeah. Right now the DSA know. in Montana tends to enjoy showing up to a city council meeting a year and calling each other comrade very visibly well and then kind of leave like <laughs> 15 minutes in, you know? Yeah. And I'm all for the comrade, you know? Yeah. yeah. But like Um, be smart about things and organize and build stuff. Don't just, don't just roll in for public comment and then roll out, you know? And, and And, I think a lot of people would like to do that. It's just, where's the damn momentum? Where are the other people? Why can't we seem to pull it together? Yeah. Um, And like, these are huge questions and, and these aren't easy things to do, but I think that there's, we, there's something about, the particular place that we're in geographically um, that I think we got to figure out like how to make these kind of resurgences of left populism fit our area in yeah. a way that other people are trying to do in their own areas. And maybe it's through conversation with them, but we also need to understand the particulars of where we are in relation to others. Yeah. I don't feel like, I feel like I have 
like a conceptual, personal, aesthetic, whatever understanding of that, but I, I haven't figured out how mm-hmm. to translate that into the political. Yeah, like we do need to build stuff in a broader sense, in a interstate, in a interstate sense, in a, in a more international sense. Absolutely, but you can't just say, okay, cool, we're on board with the inter- with the national thing, and then mm-hmm. do nothing in the state to address the state because national politics are important, of course. But they're not the be all and end all, and they, they they do not solve all of your problems at once. And at a fundamental level, if you you need to address the root causes on the ground, you need to address what's actually happening on the ground, which is often tied to national politics, but which can't actually be reduced to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and exactly. that's just it's just a giant void right now on that. Other than perhaps indigenous organizing. Again, other than that, yeah. Organizing. Yeah, which is of course the. But I think what we're talking about is like, is like more along the lines of like rural demographics and white demographics. And, you know, because this is a majority white state too. Like, what is happening with us? People who identify as as the left. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, I, I mean, We've been rambling for quite a while. Should, yeah. um, I don't know. Maybe we should save that um, humanities Montana bit. For... We're gonna hold. We'll hold that. We'll hold that back. Let's for hold that. Future. But yeah. But anyway, this is basically kind of uh, a mission statement in a sense of what we're trying to do here. Um, and thank you for sticking with us to the end of this. Um, you can, by the time this is followed, um, follow us on various media platforms, probably. Um, we do not have a Twitter yet or anything or a Facebook, but we probably should soon. Um, mm-hmm. But we'll <laughs> get on right. that. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're looking to get this. Uh, we're looking to get more into this sort of stuff and to try and start analyzing this and try and start trying to find a way through it. Or even if we can't find, or even if it may not be immediately obvious to find a way through it to at least try and articulate something. Yeah, and we're going to be digging into some history here. Yeah. And um, yeah, if, if you have resonated with anything we've said or um, want, to, want to get in contact, please yeah. reach out. Yeah. So, don't come thanks. for us. But if you have yeah. to come for us, then don't miss. I guess we can handle oh, yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So thanks for following us. Hopefully you'll stick around. Um, and either way, hope you, had a, hope you have a good rest of your day. Thanks for listening to Two Dot People's Radio. See ya. See ya. Okay. okay. And...